Welcome to episode 62 of The History of Skipton with me, Ian Lockwood, author of the book, The History of Skipton. Now, in the last episode, we looked at the fortunes of Skipton's two Church of England, or Anglican, churches. Holy Trinity, built in the medieval period, and Christ Church, opened on the first day of Queen Victoria's reign, which was built to cope with the town's growing population. The Church of England was established by Henry VIII, who declared himself, not the Pope, to be the head of the Church in the country where he reigned. By the end of the reign of Elizabeth, the new Church of England was established as the official Church, and, given the wars against Catholic Spain, to be a supporter of the old religion was a dangerous stance to take even though the new Stuart regime of kings was more sympathetic to the Catholic religion. The test of loyalty was to swear allegiance to the monarch as head of the church. For most people, it was a relatively straightforward affair, but those who refused were opening themselves up to potential persecution and certainly public contempt. In 1604, the year after Elizabeth had died, a list was prepared of all recusants, that is, those who refused to conform to the official church. The list for Skipton reveals only six names. It is likely that there were more who preferred, or even still followed, the Catholic ways. But putting one's name on the list of recusants was another matter. One name on the list was Thomas Goodgen, who died in 1609, but was refused burial by the then vicar of Skipton, Bartholomew Wilde. This pattern of hostility to Catholics, and those who were Protestant but refused to conform to the practices of the Church of England, the so-called non-conformists, was to be repeated over the years. The Catholics and the Quakers, another non-conformist, conformists who followed were to suffer at the hands of the authorities for more than a century, although Skipton should not be seen as a bastion for persecution. It was much the same elsewhere. You could be a Catholic, but you had to keep quiet about it. The Catholics were small in number and generally kept their religion hidden. Occasionally, one poked his head above the parapet and refused to stay quiet. Such a man was John Cotton, who, in 1678, was arrested by the Skipton Parish Constable for being a papist, and he condemned the constable for being a pitiful rogue and rascal. His fate is not recorded. In 1691, at a meeting of the Skipton Assizes, the parish constables were ordered to bring papists to justice to take the oaths, i.e. the oaths of allegiance to the monarch as head of the church, also to disarm them and seize their horses above the value of five pounds which were to be sold, their arms, guns, etc. to be taken 
for their majesty's service. The idea of confiscating horses worth more than £5 was to prevent a military uprising by the Catholics. In Skipton, action was taken against just two men. The unfortunate John Cotton previously mentioned and a lawyer called John Mitchell. There were much richer pickings for the authorities at Broughton, where the Tempest family was a mainstay for the religion, and they remained so. Here, 16 Catholics were recorded, including the seven members of the Tempest family. The authorities, however, preferred persecution of Catholic priests rather than the Catholic common man. And as the supply of priests dried up, so a more relaxed attitude developed. Lists still had to be made and Catholics were still barred from any public office. But the religion was considered on the verge of extinction in this country by the mid-1700s. The vicar of Skipton, John Mitten, wrote to the Tempests in apologetic terms in 1733 about his requirement to draw up a new list of Catholics. This is what he wrote. "'Tis well known how great concern and regret it is to ye, but I stand obliged as surrogate to send my appositor with the enclosed to Broughton. I have a great deal of this kind to go through before the 17th of next month. I hope before that time to see you and shall then explain to you, as far as I am able, the meaning of this sort of proceeding, as which I advise good Mrs. Tempest and yourself not to be concerned, but to be easy. With singular respect to yourself, I remain, sir, your faithful, affectionate servant. Now, this is hardly the language of a rabid vicar determined to root out papacy in the neighbourhood. Notwithstanding the courtesy a vicar would naturally extend it to a landed gentleman, it shows a certain tolerance of Catholics had emerged. Minton could be vindictive when he wanted, taking parishioners to court for failing in their Christian duty of attending church on Sundays. And among those fined for not attending church were Thomas Goodgen. It seems reasonable to assume that this was a descendant of the Thomas Goodgen, the Catholic whose burial had been refused in 1609. Interestingly, though, you may remember that it was also someone called Goodgen who became pregnant by the parish clerk in my previous episode. Anyway, the tedious forced register of all Catholics in the parish, like the Tempests, so disliked by Reverend Mitten, fell into abeyance as the century progressed. An Act of Parliament in 1778 removed the laws which outlawed Catholicism and gave them some rights to hold minor offices. However, there were very few Catholics in Skipton, and these were of wandering families, attracted to Skipton to work as navvies on the new canal. However, by the 19th century, as the town's industrial development began to start, the number of Catholics began to rise. Among them was an Italian immigrant 
called Baldissaro Porri, who was to become a successful tradesman in Skipton and stalwart of the Catholic Church. The Catholics would gather at Belmont Bridge and walk out to Broughton to the Tempest private chapel to hear Mass. But Father Michael Trappus, the chaplain at Broughton, began to say Mass in Skipton in a room above a shop in Albert Street. Among the very small congregation, probably less than ten in number, were William and Teresa Peckstone, who owned the Black Horse Inn, and they allowed Mass to be said in the pub's rooms. But the numbers were growing, and in 1835, Father Trappus had the go-ahead and the money to build a church in Skipton, which was to be called St Stephen's. The bulk of the funding, £500, came from Francis Tempest, who had become a nun. There was £100 from Walter Tempest, while his brother Charles, the head of the family, committed himself to £200 which would be spent on the roof. Other Catholics, such as Porry, gave donations. The work began in 1836, and it was to eventually cost £1,681, and it was also to cause a major row among the Catholics. On Boxing Day, 1837, Father Trappers treated the workmen who were building the church to supper in the cock and bottle to mark both Christmas and the completion of the roof, paid for by Charles Tempest, you may remember. But the priest had made a grave error. He did not inform the Tempests of the treat. Maybe the family would have disapproved, and probably Trappers simply never considered it. Either way, the head of the family, Charles Tempest, was enraged. The next day, he had a stormy confrontation with his chaplain, which ended with Father Trappers handing in his resignation and vowing never to set foot in Broughton Hall again. It seems likely that the workman's Christmas dinner was the culmination of a series of disputes. Either way, work on the nearly completed church came to a standstill, and it would be five years before it started up again. The delay was due to a power struggle between the church and the family, who had provided most of the funding. The day after Father Trappers stormed out, Charles Tempest had the church land legally registered in his name. He claimed to be the sole trustee of the church, and also demanded that Trappers should give an itemised account of all the money which had been spent on its construction. To turn up the pressure, he refused to allow Trappers to recover some of his property, mainly a book collection, which had been left behind at Broughton Hall due to the priest's hurried departure. The Catholic Bishop of Beverley, who was in charge of the northern part of the country for his church, was called John Briggs, and he was drawn into the dispute. Trappers flatly refused to give the Tempests an account of his dealings, although he did provide a breakdown to Bishop Briggs and suggested that Tempest should be informed 
that the church authorities were entirely happy with the finances. Trappers claimed that Francis Tempest, she's the one that became a nun, had wanted the bishop to be the trustee, and that Walter Tempest had wanted his donation to be kept secret from his brother. Walter had joined a bank which later went bust, taking down most of Walter's private means with it. He had lived in Florence for the last 15 years, propped up by an annuity provided by Charles, which may well explain the reluctance of Walter to let his brother know of his donation to the church. The relationship between the Tempests and the church authorities plummeted further when Charles Tempest claimed the right to have a say who would be the priest in charge at the new church. He wrote to the bishop on September the 30th, 1838. Not only the Catholics, but likewise many Protestants in Skipton, are anxious that the church should be opened without delay, and by withholding your consent, the impression in the minds of the people will be that your lordship is more anxious for the acquisition of temporal power than the spiritual welfare of the flock. So here we have two perhaps obstinate men arguing over a very crucial point. Who had the right to nominate the priest for a church in Skipton? The church, in the form of the bishop, or the people who had paid for it? Charles Tempest summed up his views in another letter in February 1839. He said, My lord, this correspondence has been most painful to me, as from my earliest infancy I have been taught to look up to the bishop of the church with respect and reverence. But I cannot, on that account, sacrifice the just claims of the family, and claims which are respected in every other part of the Catholic Church except England. Tempest bullied the rest of the family and gained their authority to act as trustee for the money they had contributed. And he again ramped up the pressure when Trappus was served with a writ on behalf of Walter Tempest, demanding the return of Walter's £100 donation. Trappus' side of the story was laid out fully in a letter to Bishop Briggs, dated February 9th, 1840. He states that when he had the idea for building a Catholic church in Skipton, he did not approach Charles Tempest, as he felt Charles would not be supportive. But he did mention it to Frances, who was disposing of her property prior to entering the convent, citing conversations about the desirability of a Catholic church in the town. Francis agreed to subscribe £500, which was held by the nuns until work began on the building. Trappers wrote, I never applied to Mr Charles Tempest for any subscription, nor did he take the smallest interest in the matter, but on the contrary, threw cold water on the subject when accidentally mentioned. Trappers claimed to have raised money himself, mainly small sums, including Walter's secret donation to progress the project until the big Boxing Day bust-up of 1837, when Charles Tempest accused him of owing money.
Trapper's letter continues. He, i.e. Tempest, and all his family then began a system of persecution against me for which they ought to blush and be ashamed of to the hour of their deaths. The outraged priest complained of his books being stolen and of false rumours being spread of his debts and impending arrest. He went on to accuse Tempest of being a poor Catholic, giving preferential treatment to Protestants and removing Catholics from his estate in case they fell into poverty and he would feel morally obliged to support them. The bitter tone of this letter shows how low relations had sunk. Sir Matthew Wilson, the landowner at Eshton Hall, was so dismayed that he approached his neighbour and fellow gentleman Charles Tempest, urging him to take the case to arbitration rather than airing the details in public. There was no need, for the church was about to run up the white flag. Trappers complained of ill health, and in June 1840 he wrote to the bishop saying that a letter from the Temper solicitors demanding the immediate payment of Walter's £100 or the expenses claimed would be increased. He said, What am I to do? I have not the money. I have quickly made up my mind that they should take my body and make the best of it. I do not want to be put to more expense. The bishop sent Trappers a cheque for the amount demanded by the solicitors. And the correspondence went quiet at this point. It is possible that the bishop was seeking a resolution. Perhaps he'd lost faith in Trappers, who may well have had a nervous breakdown judging by the tone of his letters. Behind the scenes, negotiations went on, resulting in an agreement on May the 5th, 1842, under which Charles Tempest got what he wanted, the right to nominate the priest at Skipton's Catholic Church, on condition that he should pay the full costs of maintaining him there. In return, the Catholic authorities agreed to bless the building and consent to its being used for Holy Mass. Charles nominated his brother, Thomas, who just happened to be a priest, to run the new Skipton Catholic parish. So, on September the 15th, 1842, almost five years after work on the church had come to a standstill, St Stephen's held its first service, conducted by Father Thomas Tempest, with his brother Charles Tempest in attendance. Subsequently, Mass was held every Sunday, conducted by the chaplains at Broughton Hall, with the keys to the building kept by the trusted Baldissaro Pori. Charles Tempest died in 1865. In the 21 years of the Church's existence, he had seen a rapid growth in the Catholic community in Skipton. In 1843, there were 61 taking communion at St Stephen's on Easter Sunday. In the year before his death, 21 years later, that number on the same day had grown to 227. 
The growing numbers meant that, a little over 10 years after the church opened, not only had it been extended by 25 feet, but a school had followed, built at the foot of the hill. In 1861, the Tempest family, this time in the shape of Charles's other sister, Monica, who had already donated the altar, the east window and altar furniture for the church, dug into their pockets to extend the site again. Monica funded a convent to house five nuns from the Sister of Mercy order, but she died before the convent was opened in June. So the convent was named in her honour, St Monica's, and it was enlarged in 1874, 1876 and again in 1892. Although the Sisters of Mercy left in 1866 to be replaced by the nuns of the order, the faithful companions of Jesus. Much of this building for the nuns was converted into a girls' boarding school. But, it, but by 1969, as the finances became increasingly bleak, the boarding school was shut down. Decades of neglect left it dilapidated, crumbling and left to rot. But as we speak, the building is nearing conversion into retirement accommodation. There is an unpleasant footnote in the Tempest family's church connections. You may remember that Charles had died and he was buried in the vaults of St Stephen's. Thirteen years after the death, two women, described as Madame Delaunay and Madame Higgins from St Monica's convent, entered the church and noticed a very horrid smell. Subsequent investigations revealed that someone had broken into Charles Tempest's coffin in the church vaults, removed the oak cover and cut open the lead casket, exposing the shrouded remains of Charles Tempest. In November, that same year of 1876, Joseph Park from Preston appeared before Skipton magistrates charged with willful damage. Park had been installing pipes and a boiler system and had access to the church vaults. And it was alleged that one night he departed from his usual practice of returning to lodgings in Brewery Lane with his 13-year-old assistant for supper around 6pm. Instead, he sent the boy away to bring the dinner to him. The boy testified that on his return... Park had been smoking heavily and the vault was full of tobacco smoke. He also said that Park had mentioned that Charles Tempest had been buried with a gold watch. The allegation was that Park had the motive and the means to carry out the deed but had got cold feet when he exposed the remains. It was never stated whether or not the watch rumour was true. The heavy pipe smoke was an attempt to hide the smell given off when the coffin was opened. Despite Park's protestations of innocence, the case was found proven. 
The prosecuting solicitor, called Lee, told Skipton magistrates, It must fill the mind with astonishment and indignation that a man should have the bold and wicked hardihood to enter the sacred confines of the dead and lay violent and sacrilegious hands on the very coffin containing the dust of the departed for the purpose of plunder. But, as the chairman of the Skipton bench pointed out, because Park had a lawful excuse to be on the premises with access to the vault, more serious charges could not be laid. Had he broken into the vault, then the penalty would have been transportation for life. Instead, he was fined £5 and ordered to pay damages of £1.50, the cost of a plumber soldering up the torn lead remains. The Roman Catholic community played an important role in the social fabric of the town, not just in education. They had a host of organisations, singing groups, drama groups, scouts, men's education groups. However, in common with other forms of religion, declining attendances brought the church into difficulty. But, on a happy note, St Stephen's has been revived in recent years by the, by the influx of a number of Eastern European migrants who provided fresh blood for the church and attendances have risen. Next time, we'll be looking at the other non-conformist groups in the town who rivaled the Anglican Church. Thank you for listening.